welcome back. This week's episode, one of our early favorites, is up next after a brief word from our sponsor. I've learned the hard way to only work with the best. For anything related to business accounting, bookkeeping, and finance, the team at Monpack is my go-to. They've absolutely nailed it and taken care of me of the three to four startups I've worked at previously. And anyone that works with them can't endorse them enough. Their SaaS accounting service is sophisticated, scalable, and an amazing value. For me personally, they're trustworthy, high integrity, and just great people. Grab a free consultation with one of their experts at monpack.com. That is M-O-N-T-P-A-C.com. Monpack.com. So I'm Karen Van Buren. I'm Chief Marketing Officer of Greenhouse Software. We're a hiring software company. Um, The accent that you hear is the signal that I grew up in South Africa. I spent most of my um, kind of childhood and adult um, years in South South Africa, grew up there. I came to the U.S. uh, about 20 years ago, so this is definitely home. Um, My background is um, in marketing. actually started out uh, wanting to be a journalist um, and then sort of fell into marketing, which is sort of a part of a longer story, but really understood the power of Um, marketing to being able to change behavior. Um, I uh, have a particular passion for brands. And so a large part of my background is about specializing uh, in branding and being a a consultant in branding. And then I came over to sort of the client side and I've been working in the technology um, industry for a while now and absolutely loving the impact that technology can have uh, on the world and on people's lives in general. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. When we were chatting last week, Karen, you mentioned um, like a real passion for creating, you know, spaces for belonging. And I'd love to like learn a little bit more about, you know, you grew up in South Africa, I think, and there was some overlap during apartheid. And as comfortable as you are broaching that subject and talking about it, we'd love to learn about how that personal upbringing um, kind of created and your own personal mantras and belief system and how you've carried that with you into your career. Right. I mean, it's kind of a really appropriate thing for me to talk about um, just because, you know, we're doing this recording in the week in which, um, you know, we're seeing so much um, unrest and protest because of the killing of George Floyd. And and so it just, um, it made me think a lot about sort of my experience growing up um, in an apartheid South Africa. Um, When I was a teenager and at school, we were doing projects about what would the government look like if it was um, a majority black government. And then it also actually happened. And and, um, I recall I recall a time that things were very militaristic in South Africa. I recall a time that there was a lot of violence and unrest, and it was all part of the change process. But the thing that actually shaped me as a human, um, as a woman, um, and as a mother was what happened to people individually when racism kind of came into view, that families broke up, that people kind of couldn't see eye to eye because they couldn't get further than skin color, that the differences were so stark that they couldn't find a way to kind of bridge that. and I experienced it very firsthand in my own life. I experienced it in my family. Um, I, I experienced it in such a way that the choices that I made about who was my friends, who my son would um, kind of get to visit, um, I was always described a little bit as the liberal. And one of the things that I feel very proud of is that I stood my ground on this because um, a human being is a human being not because of their skin color or where they grew up, but because of their value system. And so I kind of embraced that. Um, the diversity of perspective, the right to be who you are. And I've brought that into pretty much everything that I do. And here I am so fortunate that at the moment I am working for um, Greenhouse. As I mentioned, it's an um, HR technology company. And the fundamental um, 
purpose that we have brought into our software is to help to eliminate bias and discrimination in the hiring process. And so here I am professionally in a place where through the work that I do and through the, um, the opportunities that I get, I can actually help companies get better at a, a specific discipline, in this instance hiring, which would help them to build more diverse teams, which would help them to actually have more inclusive cultures, which means that they're creating environments where people can really bring their potential to the front, to be who they really are. I feel that is like, um, it's very purposeful and it actually gives meaning to what I do both personally and professionally. This will sound naive, but Karen, if people want to become more inclusive as a leader and as a person, like where do you think they can start? Like what advice would you have for them? Inclusion actually has to start with you taking a look on the inside. And the first thing that you have to do is you have to say, what matters, what matters to me as a person? What is it that I respect and, and that I regard? And how do I create um, a sort of a, a, a shall we say, a space of inclusion around me where people feel comfortable to be who they are. And so I, when I look at inclusion and belonging, I firstly say, what can I be doing to actually make this individual or this group of people feel that they can be their best self? And what are the barriers or the blockers that get in the way from them being able to do that? If I focus my energy and my attention on removing some of those blockers, on maybe bringing understanding, insight, education to bear, I can get to a place where everyone feels that they have um, an equitable, equitable environment, that they can be I have said this now so many times, that they can be who they have the potential of being. Because there's a lot of sort of societal impediments that prevent us from doing what we believe we are called to do. And I want to go about my life breaking those down and enabling people to sort of step into their potential. And to throw another curveball into the current climate, you know, when you think about right now working remote and like thinking about inclusion and belonging and creating a space that is kind of up to your personal standard as a leader of you know meeting meeting kind of those that inclusiveness and belongingness and and the culture and environment you try to create. Can can you tell us just a little bit of how you've personally gone about like trying to extend that inclusion and belonging into this new working remote culture and how uh, any learnings, takeaways, or things you might share with folks about how to continue to extend that belief system into a more like remote environment? You know, this is the thing that I probably am thinking about twenty four seven, and that I feel like. I wish I knew more about what great looks like in this completely new context. And so I find that, so the, the word that's in my mind constantly is what kind of culture, how do you create a culture that enables people to feel that sense of human connection, even though they're isolated and just sort of by themselves in their room, like the three of us are, right? And so the first thing that I find that I am doing is, I'm do, I, I believe that what is appropriate is create the space to constantly ask people where they are, how they are, what matters to them. So that's the first thing. Once I understand a little bit more about what's on your mind, what's the space that you are in today, then I can begin to say, all right, well, this is what I'm trying to do. How shall we go about it? And it, I'm not being tentative. I'm actually trying to be, um, uh, say, um, what's the right word? I'm trying to be empathic over uh, over the distance. I'm trying to understand sort of where somebody is so that I can meet them there. And then the challenge of that is it's almost easy to do that when you're speaking just to one person. How do you do that at group level? And so the, the one insight that I am increasingly embracing is um, you can't rush any of this. Um, you have to take your time and kind of just set yourself one initiative or one goal to accomplish. And once you've accomplished that, set the next one and then just kind of keep that momentum up. Because without that, you're going to find yourself rushing to a goal, feeling like you've achieved a lot. And when you look over your shoulder, no one is with you, right? And so the idea of taking the time, making the connection, bringing people along and just do that over and over again and consistently check in. 
Yeah, one one foot in front of the other. And I, I mean, just for personal experience, and Poy, I'll kick it over to you because I know you had a question. Like, you know, it's been interesting. You'd think initially I thought working from home, you know, I'll be able to get so much more done. Uh, you know, I have this real this vision for this grand vision of like what uh, this experience is going to be like for me on a personal level. And I love what you said just about like listening and learning from others and just understanding where they're at. Because I've learned just from myself personally and observing, like I get my energy from other people. And as a result of that, I'm so tired at the end of the week, you know, working from home when I have to generate the energy and, and the creativity on my own every day. Um, and it's, it's not a complaint. It's not, it's not like I'm a victim or anything. It's more just like looking at myself and internalizing that learning. And, and it's cool to hear that as a leader, you know, um, that's one of the principles you're leading with. Boy, I know, I know you had a, a question. Can I just say that you shouldn't beat yourself up there at all. Yeah. I think oh, Zoom, Zoom fatigue is, is a thing um, because we're spending all this time on it. Um, I thought that I would get three hours a day back and I'm going to be this incredibly productive person. I can listen to all the podcasts in the world. I will work out. I will be this fabulously in shape person none of that has happened. And I just like, okay, I have to find a new way of coping with this. No, you're absolutely, it's, you bring up what I was going to share, which is the current times of working from home or remote. It's not even standard what like a typical work from home and remote is because no. you've got the kids at home, you got a pandemic, you got all these horrible things going on in the news and anything you can do to kind of be vulnerable and be human and like let your emotions out, like the, the best you can do. So how are you enabling some of those things for your team? Karen, like what have you folks, maybe I know it's real time, but how are you enabling that for you and your team? And if there's listeners on the call, like what advice would you have for them? You know, what's interesting when I talk about um, um, creating an environment of inclusion and belonging, you recognize that people are diverse, right? When we were in the workplace, diversity was just uh, the person that you saw in front of you and kind of who they are and, and all of the special things and, and the unique things about them. Now that we're working from home, diversity actually is including their family and their home situation and all of the dynamics of where they are physically working from right now. So when the little one runs into the call, we actually stop the call and we're like, hey, and for a moment, we're actually all focused on that little human and making sure that the, that the parent is not feeling embarrassed about a little one just you know, jumping on the call and wanting to see what daddy's doing. Um, the other thing that we are doing is we're learning to make noise together. The, um, so what I mean by that is you would have noticed that you're doing Zoom meetings and you are on mute more minutes than you're speaking, right? And so when you're in a group of, so you're in a large group discussion, there's 50 people on your screen, but it still is unbelievably quiet. And so one of the things that we're trying to do, and I am actively encouraging is, is for people to make noise on Zoom, to talk over each other, to laugh out loud, to show their emotion, to clap or to cheer or to wave, because we have no other way of making our colleagues feel what we are actually thinking in our heads. Like a smile is not enough. Um, and then the third thing that we're doing is we are being very intentional with unstructured time. We have so much structured time that what we are deliberately doing now and literally every other day has some unstructured time in it where there's a half an hour, call it study hall if you would. We've got this thing which is called cheers every, you know, every other day. And what we are doing in those unstructured moments is 10 minutes before the call, everyone's invited. Somebody would make a suggestion, have a crazy background, put on a hat that's not a hat, do something interesting. And just in that moment, come and hang out. And half of the conversation is about the choice that you made for background or whatever. But we're trying to find these spontaneous, fun, unstructured ways to just like hang out with each other and uh, find ways to connect. So those are my three suggestions. 
Yeah, those are great suggestions. And what you said about taking for granted those in-person interactions, how you can like give and exchange energy in a room just by, you know, the, the reaction that you have with your facial expression or what you do with your hands or the way that your body is angled at somebody. None of those things really uh, translate unless you really right. make the effort, like you said, on Zoom. And so to be very intentional about making noise and, and sort of being rude and interrupting somebody, it's counterintuitive, but the way that you put it, it makes a lot of sense um, because those are the things we do normally. And you, you kind of have to interrupt with love, right? So you need to, you know, be very mindful about how that dynamic goes. Um, you know, in our company, we, we've done sort of large scale things. We do like trivia nights. That's very much a greenhouse tradition. And it is a fantastic thing. I will say this is not a product promotion, but Zoom has breakout rooms. And who knew that breakout rooms could actually be so much fun, right? So when you have breakout rooms in a large group dynamic, suddenly people's creativity to come out. Um, for example, teams decide to brand themselves by creating common backgrounds or, you know, um, they gatecrash another team's breakout rooms, you know, things like that that bring a little bit of the um, spontaneous fun that I think used to be so powerful in shaping um, cultures into this very technology enabled thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I love that. And, 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 you know, we should, I think the listeners will really appreciate this week all of like the actionable tips and feedback around like stuff we can do today on Zoom together. Right. Uh, so that's, that's great. So I, I want to ask a, a slightly off topic, off topic question that I think does have a lot to do with the way you see the world, Karen. You mentioned that there's kind of three, like a big three B's in your life. One of those is brand. We've talked a little bit about that and, and sort of your approach to building brand and, and how you think about work and, and making it meaningful. Maybe tell us about the other two B's in your life and uh, how those impact, you know, the way you look at the world. Right. The, uh, the other two B's in my life are distinctly more dangerous if you, if you could than brands. I mean, you know, you can, go, you can only go so far before you screw a brand up. But the other two B's are, um, yeah, bees are bees, as in insects, and boats. Um, and so I'll start with bees because I think a lot of the insight that I have about business, I've actually gotten from the beehive. Um, I've been a beekeeper now for five years. The sad thing about it is I've been a beekeeper for five years and I have become incredibly allergic to bees. Um, so it is really dangerous for me to be working with bees. So I'm like fully dressed up from head to toe, got smoker in hand, the whole thing. But I am fascinated by bees. I'm fascinated by what I learn about the hive and about the individual bees. And every time I lift the lid, I can tell you whether the bees are in a bad mood or in a good mood that day. Um, and from a sort of what have I learned um, from the bees that I can apply to business? I sort of learned three things. Um, the first is that, the, you know, everyone says the queen is in charge, but the queen is the most uh, incredible example of servant leadership because the queen exists for one person and one purpose only, and that is to serve the hive, lay a ton of eggs, make more bees. That's it, right? Um, the bees themselves function because there is role clarity. Everyone knows exactly what they're supposed to do. The workers do this, the nurses do that, the drones do that. And the last thing is um, change does not happen to the hive without everyone being given an opportunity to give input. And while it's not consensus, there is no like one, the one who has the loudest voice gets the furthest, you know, uh, you have bees work really hard to convince other bees to go and check out the opportunity that they see. And then over time, the beehive kind of comes to this idea and they go, okay, we're going to make a move. And that's fascinating. I just, I, I think one day um, being able to sort of, kind of channel the hive mind would be a very interesting thing for me, but I have learned a ton just by um, observing bees because I have to be so careful with, when I work with them. So that's, that's it. And there's this delicious little side product called honey, which goes with everything. And I'm pretty much addicted to honey. Um, 
The other B um, is boats. I, um, I am a sailor. I love um, to be on a boat. That's my happy place. Um, we have a sailboat, which is how you do the big storms. And I have a powerboat, which is how you get to play on the weekends and have cocktails in the sun when, you know, when we're not in sheltering in place. Um, and then there are little boats like dinghies and kayaks. And so I pretty much have the opportunity and I'm fortunate to be able to pick the boat for my particular um, desire on any given day. And what sailing and boating has taught me is how to navigate storms, how to be able to focus on in the midst of everything going crazy and the wave action is significant and the boat is going into the trough, how to keep my eye on the horizon, how to know that's where the lighthouse is, that's where I'm going to need to go. And the ability to sort of see far and then focus on the near, um, you have a lot of practice at that when you're on a sailboat. Um, you have to really be mindful and very present uh, at all times. And I find that, that and beekeeping are the two things that really keep me sane. I can't be thinking about work when I do those two things. What a fascinating hobby. I, I, I got to tell you, not only from the bees, but how you apply it back to life or in this case business, specifically servant leadership. I actually did my minor in leadership and I wrote a thesis yes. on servant leadership. So uh, for anybody listening, read the book. It's by Robert K. Greenleaf, who was at AT&T. Great leadership awesome. um, kind of style. Uh, one of the things, I, 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 I just wonder how you apply this to like real life, these experiences. So when you're in a scenario, whether it's tough or easy, whatever it may be, what are those questions you ask that you think like, do you ever apply it to like, hey, what would the, what would the honeybee do? Or what would this person do? And maybe what are those questions that you ask internally as well, you do those things? I tell you the thing that I learned the most about beekeeping is that most of the problems start with a beekeeper, right? And I had, I had one day the most extraordinary experience where I got stung 15 times in like one minute. And it was all because I did not listen. I was trying to do something. I was trying to kind of do a shortcut because I was in a hurry. I lifted the lid. The bees gave a specific sound and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to do this. Like override what I heard, put the thing and oh my God, chaos ensued. So sometimes when I'm in a situation and I'm not <clears throat> entirely sure, it's like, am I listening? Am I, am I listening and following my instinct? Because in the moment that I heard that sound, I knew shit was going to go down. Oh, sorry. I knew something bad was going to happen and I didn't follow my instincts. So that's definitely one thing. I am actively working on listening and following my instincts because I've seen a few movies. I know that I can apply the lessons from there to whatever it is I'm doing. And then I would just say, as it relates to, as it, as it relates to the boat, um, going through, most recently our company had to go through some layoffs. We had to reduce the size of the company. We had to, um, there was, we had to let go of some people and it was an extraordinarily difficult experience. And when you're going through it, you can't see, you can't imagine that things are going to get better again. And that's when I think about what it's like when you're trying to travel from A to B and it isn't like there's a hurricane around you, but none of the conditions are good. How do you practice patience? How do you learn to separate what is real signal from what is just noise? And because things that are just noise, ah, this is uncomfortable. I feel slightly seasick. You can deal with that stuff. But when there's real signal like that sale, there's a problem there. We need to put a reef in or something has to happen. The ability to quickly distinguish between signal and noise is helping me and helping me make better decisions and helping me know what I need to do when the going gets tough. The themes that I'm noticing for some of the podcast guests is uh, in some cases a... Um, 
uh, kind of extreme hobbies, right? Like whether it's sailing or we had, we had a guest uh, the other week who was getting training for a hundred mile marathon race or, you know, beekeeping if you're, you know, deathly allergic to bees. And like you said, it channels your energy to be focused, present, uh, alert on just sort of like the task at hand. And and going back to what you said earlier about, um, you know, building momentum with your team and putting just one goal at a time in front of the other rather than two, three, four goals. And like really focusing on like knocking down that one goal and getting everybody focused, sort of the hive focused on one thing. Um, I think that's really good feedback and and something that, you know, everybody who's working from home right now and has a million tabs open on their computer, but it isn't sitting next to anyone to like, you know, double check them to get focused. It's, it's a good reminder to, to, you know, to take it one thing at a time. So I would say my husband would probably say extreme or stupid. He's not always clear whether I have the distinction between those two things. Um, But, but the one thing that I will say is that when you have a little bit of adversity, when things don't always go well, it does begin to teach you about what your capacity is to deal with change. What is your capacity to deal with things that are not always perfect? And I think that's when you start to think, I can do this. I can hang in there. If I just put one foot in front of the other, um, I will get through that. And I take that and I apply it to my team and I say, we will get through this. Um, It's going to be better uh, in the distance, but this is what we need to do here in, in the here and now to be able to get to that future. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, you know, Karen, I, I, we, we typically like to um, conclude the, the podcast with a couple like questions. Poi and I have each have kind of one question we like to ask and then um, okay. kind of give you the forum to talk about where folks can connect with you. And, and I'm actually going to ask you a different question this week because I think the environment begs it. And I think you're very much like an expert um, and somebody who can really like help the community think about this. And my question for you is if you're giving advice to, you know, our, our community and your community on one thing that people can do today, whether it's personally or professionally to create a more inclusive environment, what is like maybe one thing you recommend that people either think about or do starting today to, to just kind of create more inclusion in the world that they live in? Reach out to somebody that would not expect you to be reaching out to them. Just reach out to them and connect. And it isn't about anything that you want from them. You just you are on my mind. I'm checking in on you. How are you doing today? And just, you know, spend a minute human to human, just connect. I think if we, if we just, if everyone just does that, there's this chain of positive caring, connecting, I think it will help. It goes back to the rule of servant leadership, right? Serve without getting anything in return. And uh, it's what makes us human, right? That's uh, pay it forward without anything in return. And, and one way or another, it'll pay. Absolutely. I call it gifting because I think you constantly gift. Just don't, you at some point, somebody's going to give to you and that's okay, but just gift it because I think when it comes without any strings, that's when it has real meaning and value. Yeah, very good. My, my question is actually going to remain the same and it's, uh, what, do, what do you wish you had known looking back? And this, is, this could be before you came to the US, before you took this job at Greenhouse. Like, what is that one thing that you're like, wow, I would love others to know about this because I, I wish I had learned it earlier in life. That I wasn't quite so taken with the fact that you need to go into a role that has like a title that it means something to people. There was a time in my life that I wanted to go into the diplomatic service and I wanted to do something to build peace and and harmony. And I tested it out a little bit and it looked really boring. And so I completely changed my career and I went into kind of this marketing sphere that I am in right now. But the thing that I have realized more than anything is that leadership on a day-by-day basis is a lot like being in the diplomatic service because what you're trying to do is you're trying to build understanding and bridges between people. And so I wish that I spent just a little bit more time learning about kind of the science and the skill of doing that. It wasn't quite so dismissive that it felt boring and uninteresting, 
because I might have had a very interesting political career if I didn't if I didn't have that perspective. And so I'm afraid that my answer is really quite tactical to me. But it was it's one of those things that I I had dreamt about it since I was a young girl that this would be how I would make a difference in the world. And then life takes over and you you know you kind of take a 90 degree um, turn. But I feel that I have come back to this this fundamental truth that how how you work with people, the connections and the bridges that you build between people is the singular recipe for how to get anything done. If you can get that skill, you can do all the rest. You can do PL, you can do market, you can do anything if you have that fundamental skill. And so, yeah, anyway, that's well, what it's, it, No, it's, it's a powerful one, right? Because it's, it, it's, again, aligning humans. Like, that's what's tough, right? And, and I work for a company that I've heard times after times, it's easy to code, but it's tough for me to manage, like depending on who you are. So, right. It, right it, depending on who you talk to, it just becomes tougher. So how, I guess, how have you been able to get that skill? Like how have you, like what's helped you hone in at, like even if it's not perfect, right? Like what has helped you uh, or a couple of resources to like better yeah. yourself around that skill? Um, it was very painful in the beginning because my style and everything that I did was very much driven and go get it done. And so I would very easily, you know, run over people. And so I got a lot of feedback that what I was doing was actually completely counterproductive to what I was, the outcome that I was trying to perceive, uh, to, to try and pursue. So um, in just very simple terms, I kind of do a 360 on myself, like every three years. I don't do it every year because there's stuff that I have to work on, but 360s are something that I, and I, I search out difficult people to put in my 360 so that I can be, I can take the learning, even if it feels really uncomfortable. That's one thing. Um, and then the other thing that I, I have done is um, I've, I, I believe that I am a constant work in progress. And so I invest in, I invest in um, coach and I invest in things that are, if I identify an area of skill capability that I need, I invest in myself to be able to do that. I don't necessarily wait for my employer to make it possible. If I believe I need to have something, I go and put the money or the effort or the time down to do that. So input from others and this willingness to do work on yourself are the two things that I would say has made a difference for me. Yeah. I used to have a professor that said the best investment you can make is an investment in yourself. So uh, well, well put. Right. And Karen, really quick, just, just for our viewers, what, could you, do you give us a quick little, like, what is a 360 for folks that may not know? Oh, a 360 is essentially an assessment, uh, a structured set of questions with, say, a group of nine or 10 people with different relationships to you, and they're all being asked the same questions. And so what you get back is a profile of what are your strengths, what are the areas that you need to work on, and basically how you are perceived in the world when you are engaging. And then, um, you know, obviously, it's nice to get positive feedback, but the object of the game is what are the things that you need to work on to be able to have optimal relationships with these different types of, of individuals, whether they be um, people who, you, you know, report to you, peers, mentors, or, you know, sort of influencers at large. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, Karen, this has been an absolute um, gift, uh, and I'm, I'm ready to go um, run into somebody who I don't know and go ask how they're doing and, and learn more about them, and I appreciate that. And we really appreciate your time um, coming on board, telling us about your experience as a CMO of Greenhouse, all the way down to growing up in South Africa and everything in between. Um, for our listeners, you know, if, if you're open to sharing it, um, if, you know, if they want to follow you, where can they maybe find you online, LinkedIn, Twitter, anything like that? Um, yes, I'm definitely on LinkedIn. I'm Karen Van Vuren. I, um, I'm also on Twitter, although I'm one of those people who very selectively use social media. So you can DM me. Um, I'm Karen uh, VV on, on Twitter. Um, but I would be very happy to just provide my email address, karen.vanvuren at greenhouse.io. And uh, just mention that you listen to the podcast and we'll strike up a conversation and see where it goes. Awesome. Well, Karen, thank you so much again for joining us. It is a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Take care, both of you. 
I've learned the hard way to only work with the best. For anything related to business accounting, bookkeeping, and finance, the team at Monpack is my go-to. They've absolutely nailed it and taken care of me of the three to four startups I've worked at previously. And anyone that works with them can't endorse them enough. Their SaaS accounting service is sophisticated, scalable, and an amazing value. For me personally, they're trustworthy, high integrity, and just great people. Grab a free consultation with one of their experts at monpack.com. That is M-O-N-T-P-A-C.com. Montpack.com, 